0: Happy Earth Weekend! Are you having a good one? The weather's cooperating really well for it, isn't it? So I hope you're getting out, you're enjoying, you're contributing to the earth, whatever feeds your soul, that you're giving that back as well. Yesterday we had a great day here of attending our sacred grounds, yes? And an Earth Day ceremony and a potluck. So if you participated in any of that or in creating it, would you please stand and let us give you some thanks for that? Yeah, nice. And those of you online, we feel you too. So thanks for being a part of um, yesterday, today, and always. And We also had, of course, our Earth Care Alliance. Um, it's Earth Care Team that's changed to Alliance to represent all of us, not just the small team. But I want to give thanks to Lee, our, our fearless leader, who shared our covenant earlier. Yeah. This team has brought us in awards galore. I swear I can't even keep up with all the names of the awards. But now we're applying to be a wayshower congregation to help other congregations. Um, become, you know, more earth-friendly and, and so on. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yes. So. so there was this man going into story time. It te- seems to me to be like, you know, um, the ancient connection we've always had to the earth has been around story. So I've got a lot of stories for you today. Good? All right. Good. You like stories? So there was this man who would walk his dog every day And he was new to the neighborhood, and he walked by this gorgeous garden day after day after day. I mean, fragrant flowers, everything looked perfect, a variety, well-placed heights and all that, herbs, and just really beautiful. And so he was just enamored with it each time. And one day he was so excited because when he walked by, somebody was actually in the garden. And so he said, good morning. This is a stunningly beautiful garden that God has created. And they said, yes, and you should have seen it before when only God was tending to it. (laughs) As my dad would say, isn't that the truth? He loved to rose garden, so... Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I was on a hike in uh, one of these magical, beautiful California hikes that are just seem like endless opportunities for them, don't they? <laughs> don't they? And this particular one had some some old redwoods. And when I came close to the old redwoods, I felt really pulled to the earth. And so I sat down on the earth, and then I felt pulled closer. It was like this, you know, just this get closer. And then I, I i was like, well, how do I get much closer, you know? And then a vision kind of opened up that I was being pulled into the earth. Now, that both intrigued me and scared me at the same time, right? It was just like, I don't think I'd be able to breathe very long under there. And so it's a, it kind of, it just stuck with me as an experience. You know, it's one of those spiritual experiences. Sometimes we make meaning of it and sometimes we'll never know really what that was about exactly but what it did bring home to me was this truth that we are always pulled close to the earth you know literally scientifically gravity pulls us close to the earth at all times right but there's also this energetic spiritual connection with mother earth that i think pulls us close And it pulls us close to pay attention. It pulls us close to tune in. It it pulls us close to give and to receive and to notice that constant relationship we're in, just as in the meditation, that relationship we took up with a plant or a, a tree. We're always in that kind of experience of giving and receiving. And so to remember that, to be reminded of that, Earth and all of her forms are in constant communication, a constant dance with one another. And our connection with nature, just like our connection with spirit, is always there. It cannot be severed in any way. We just aren't always aware of that magnetic pull that's going on, that energetic pull that's always happening. As an anonymous sage said recently, there's no Wi-Fi in the forest, But I guarantee you'll find a better connection. (laughs) True, right? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes even, you know, when we're in the forest, we're busy taking pictures of whatever it is that we are experiencing. (laughs) It's like we're not really experiencing it. We're taking pictures so we can in the future, enjoy it when we look at our pictures and show them to our friends, you know, or post them on social media. And so it's that kind of turn off the devices and be so that you can really have that connection. You can feel that pull. When we focus our connection with any form of life, we bridge, we create that, we walk that bridge from heaven to earth, right? Heaven is in some far off place, but it's like, oh, wow, look at this glory. Listen to this glory. It's right here. It's right now. So it helps us with that, that uh, mystical to physical bridging connection. It can easily be crossed. We recognize that. In What the Mystics Know by Richard Rohr, he tells an old story of a Jewish boy coming to his rabbi and saying, you know, I know how to love my mother. and I think I know how to love my father. I get it with my brother even and my little sister. But how am I supposed to love God? We're always hearing about how we're supposed to love God. He said, but I can't see God, so I don't know how I'm supposed to love God. And the rabbi says, start with a stone. Now, the boy loved to throw stones, but love a stone? He was like, huh? (laughs) And then he went on to explain it a little more. And he said, try to be present with it. One of the most basic things in our reality, that stone. He said, notice its beauty. It's texture, take it in, notice it for what it is. It's goodness, it's innate goodness. And see if you can allow that into yourself, into your heart. The boy was intrigued. The rabbi went on and he gave more examples. Take a flower, for example. You don't need to cut it and put it in a vase, just be with the flower. And all the same things, notice its goodness and its beauty, take it in. Then he said to the boy, really got his attention, do you have a dog? Oh, yes, I do. Well, can you imagine doing that same thing with your dog? Well, that was really easy, right, for him. No leap there. And then he mentions the mountains and the sky. Other people. He says, you know, when you consider another person, you know, see if you can see the goodness and the beauty in them and allow that to also be a reflection of you and see yourself in them and you in the, and, and vice versa. And so it's in this way by loving a stone and loving a flower and loving your little dog and the mountains and the sky and another person, you're already loving God. And then the boy really understood and felt empowered and inspired because all of those things were easy for him to love. So now he understood. Be present to the goodness and the beauty of life, in other words. And that bridge, then, is crossed between heaven and earth, between the mystical and the physical, the human and the divine. It doesn't feel like so much two opposites anymore because we recognize the oneness that is innate in all life. Nature is our teacher, the book of Job says. If you would learn more, ask the cattle. Seek information from the birds of the air, the creeping things of the earth, Will give you lessons. And the fishes of the sea will tell you all. There is not a single creature that does not know that everything is of God's making. So even the tiniest of little creatures have spiritual lessons to give us. And those lessons can be about being, like being present and being. Um, beautiful and just being still and just being as you are not trying to strive into something else it reminds me of when Jesus said consider the lilies of the field they neither toil nor spin but they're glorious they're beautiful right and so it's that beingness that we get we learn from nature the naturalness of movement and ease of being just as we are and then there's the doing even that nature shares with us. The doing of nature is how to accomplish things, how to cooperate with each other. You know, we can think about a lot of examples in nature. In fact, in, in uh, humankind has a term for that, biomimicry, where we actually create systems and things and designs and things that will work more effectively and efficiently and comfortably and harmoniously because we've watched how nature does it. And then we recreate it in life. So it's those kinds of lessons that we can take in, even from the smallest of creatures. Under the direction of a single queen, an ant colony in Brazil created this 500 square foot metropolis that goes 26 feet deep into the earth. Ants created this. Ants created this. It has a network designed to allow good ventilation and provide the shortest transport routes. There are, it features scores of highways that go through the main chambers and then they have little side roads. And if you follow some of those side roads all the way out, they lead to rubbish pits and fungus gardens that were created by the little worker ants bringing the vegetation in. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's amazing. So much life goes on beneath our feet. So much life is happening everywhere. Life is, you know, the earth is teeming with life. Things we can't even see with a naked eye or we can see if we slow down enough and look or pay attention or listen. I had a friend from Brazil once, and she would go for, she married an American man, and they would go for hikes. And she's like, oh, it's so loud. He's like, what are you talking about? It's like the crunching of the, the leaves and everything when we're walking through the forest. It's so loud. She was so attuned to the sounds of the forest that most of us just, you know, just to stomp, you know, stomp right through. But she could feel and, and hear the life itself, and she didn't want to walk on, on it and crush it. So it's that kind of you know sensitizing ourselves, resensitizing because we have done a lot of work to desensitize ourselves for many things, right? It's resensitizing ourselves, letting our sensory aspects of being come alive again that's what heals the earth. That's what heals whatever needs to be healed upon the earth, all the life forms, all of humanity, right? Is us coming alive again and allowing ourselves to experience our senses. For so long in spirituality and uh, the way that we've taught religion, it's been like body over here, spirit over here, right? Flesh bad, spirit good. And that's kind of inculcated in our thinking, in our, but it's, it's not the truth. And we know it's not the truth when we relax into our natural beings and we say, oh, no, but I am the earth. My body is the earth. How I treat my body is analogous to how the earth is treated and vice versa, right? Because we are all one. That's why our vision, I, I love our vision so much that it's about all life thriving in conscious oneness. It's that aliveness. It's that coming back. So maybe when I was being pulled to the earth, I'm wondering about these leafcutter ants. Now, they're not up in this region by by redwoods, but what might have been really pulling me? Maybe there was something that created some kind of cool underground metropolis that wanted me to tour their home. (laughs) Let's, Let's show some of those humans what we're doing down here beneath the earth. Who knows? We grossly underestimate the intelligence of animal and plant life. We grossly underestimate the worth of all life. And so it is for us as spiritual beings to awaken to that with a sensitivity, to let our sensory uh, experiences come alive, and at the same time, that awakens our spirituality in a whole new way. That's embodied spirituality. And that's what Earth Day, I think, is a reminder of, that we are embodied spiritual beings. And what all does that mean? And what more could it mean as we breathe more life into that idea and awaken more to what is meant by all of that? So in other ant news, I'm, I'm, uh, you have to bear with me with the ant stories, okay? Okay. This is for my own learning, because um, I'm always wanting to treat all life in a sacred way, but when the ants come marching into the kitchen <laughs> it's really hard, right, and we get them here at unity too a lot in the bathroom, and that's like it's like this existential experience, like, what do we do with this sacred life? We don't want you here, you know so um. It, we don't want you here just, I mean, in the bathroom, in the kitchen. You know, we want you here. And so it's that whole experience anyway. I'll stop with my own uh, existential crises. <laughs> there, I know there are, it seems like there are bigger things to be concerned about on the planet. But I guess that's my point, is that all of it is worth paying attention to, right? All of it is worth holding as sacred. So anyway, here's another ant story. Gil Fronsdale tells this story. He's a spiritual teacher. And on his son Narian's sixth birthday, he gifts him with an ant farm. And Narion is just absolutely engaged in this ant farm. He can't wait when he comes home from school. He runs to see it. He's watching all the things that are happening with his ants. He names some of the ants. He is just, you know, enraptured with their daily struggles and accomplishments And so one of the things he points out to his father one day is that he notices that the ants have a graveyard. And when an ant dies, he watches with wonder as several of them drag the bodies of their comrades to one particular area. You know, it's beautiful, isn't it? And so Gil writes about this day he goes to pick up his son, Narayan, at school. And he said, I can see him visibly distressed as he's coming to the car, you know. And there's that feeling of, uh-oh, what happened at school, you know. I'm sure for all you parents, you can feel that, oh, who hurt my child, you know, <laughs> that sense, that worry. And, and so the, Narayan gets in the car and he says that um, the kids were playing this game at, at school where they were stepping on ants. And he said he couldn't understand why his classmates would hurt these creatures who had become his friends and who he had so much reverence for. And so, you know, when we spend a lot of time with a living being, we suddenly have that kind of understanding and reverence that we see them as the divine expressions that they truly are, as Narayan had. We can see that they're animated, that they're hungry. We can see that like us, they're social, and like us, their life is fragile, and they just want to be alive and do what they do. And so Gil said to Narion, your playmates didn't have the chance to get to know the ants like you did, and if they had, they wouldn't injure them. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's such a lesson in compassion, And it's a reminder that all life is sacred, and when we treat it that way, we offer that respect and honor in that kind of natural way. You know, the word that comes from the same root as sacred is sacrilege, which is when there's wrongdoing action against something sacred. So... Our spiritual work is really to uncover the places on the planet and amongst our human friends where we are committing sacrilege or within ourselves and bring it back into the sacred, restore it in its sacredness by our treatment, by our words, by our actions, whatever they might be. Often, though, we do the opposite. We try to just cover up and move on from whatever sacrilege has occurred for various reasons, right? We don't want to look. It's painful to look sometimes. Or, you know, and so we'll say things like, oh, well, that happened a really long time ago, and so think we can just wave it away, right? Or we'll say, well, I wasn't. I didn't do that. Maybe my ancestors did that, but I didn't do that, so we just wash our hands of any accountability or ownership, right? You know, so there's various ways that we do this. But these attitudes don't contribute to the healing. In fact, they make it worse. Because all we're doing is trying to push our own guilt away. And while we do, the wound festers more deeply. And so it is, what can we do then to uncover the sacrilege and let it into the light of day? Let it into the breath of God, into the air, so that it can heal like any wound would heal. Whether that sacrilege is against one another, against groups of people, against the earth itself, it doesn't really matter. Against a grove of trees, it's like all of it matters, right? So it's a recognition that whether we're, you know, crushing bugs or we've committed genocide and every sacrilege that has come in between, there is an opportunity to heal it if we are willing to say, I'm going to let that be in the light of day. And feel my feelings around it, right? Because it's the human heart that allows the healing to happen. It's all of our hearts that allow the healing to happen by feeling what we feel. Compassion. Compassion is such a profound way to do that. What I love about what Gil said to Narayan, one of the many things I love about it is it's implied in his words that there is faith in humanity, right? If the kids would have known that ants like Narayan did, they wouldn't want to injure them. That has so much implication, right, for everything, right? It's our ignorance that causes us to commit sacrilege. And then once we know what we know, it's natural for us to want to uplift, to uphold life, to restore its sacredness, to treat it with honor and respect, including ourselves. We know the truth that we are one with all life, but sometimes it's hard to figure out, how do I demonstrate that? You know, how do I, we are a, a, a movement of practical spirituality and new thought. So how do I put feet to that? How do I demonstrate that? How do I express that in the world? Otherwise it's just a pretty thought on paper, right? That we can all agree to intellectually. Oh yeah, that's a wonderful idea of, you know, treat all life with sacredness or say all life is sacred or that we are one with all life. But what does it look like when I am being it, when I embody that truth, then that's that's really when the work begins, right? Our sense of oneness can be demonstrated through actions we take for caring for the earth. It can, you know, as they say, actions speak louder than words. It can also be through the embodiment of our prayers. Greg Braden tells the story in The Secrets of the Lost Mode of Prayer. And he says that when he and his friend uh, David were spending some time together during the drought in New Mexico, that David, he, he changed his name to David, he said David invited him to come with him to pray rain. And so Greg was intrigued, and they went and they hiked up high in the mountains, and when they got to this ancient stone circle, David took off his shoes, and Greg was just holding space and witnessing And he went into the circle, and he called in the four directions. And then he just got very still. He said he just kind of folded his hands, and he was just very still for a while. And then he said, okay, let's go. And Greg said, what? That's it? No chanting? No dancing? And David said, no, no. He said, "Um, if I had prayed for rain, you see, it could never happen. Because if I had prayed for rain, I would give power to what we do not have. I would empower the drought if I had prayed for rain. I was praying rain, praying rain, not for it. So Greg said, can you break that down specifically how you prayed? (laughs) And David said, sure, it's pretty simple. He said, I felt rain. I felt the rain. I felt the rain coming down. I felt the rain running down my body. He said, I felt the rain while I stood in the village and in with my naked feet in the mud as the as the waters were rising around my feet. And I felt in the village the, the moisture in the earthen walls of the village itself. He said, I felt the the corn brushing against my chest as I walked through the fields and knew that the corn was this high because the rain, so much rain had happened. And so it was this key that he said, it's not praying for, it's praying and feeling it. That was the key. And... His prayer, both a visualization and a sensory experience, shows us how to bring forth whatever it is that we are envisioning, whatever it is that we are wishing. Of course, the key to feel it. And sure enough, a high-pressure system came in, and it rained for days, solid rain. So much rain that even the low-lying lands were flooded a bit during that time. So when we think of earth care, we often think of preservation and restoration, which is good. And it's great that it is in the consciousness right now. It is, it is a heightened consciousness that we all know more about recycling and reusing and the kinds of things that preserve and give to life and the planting and so on. More and more of us are educated in that way let's not, let's also, let's do those things, and let's also remember that our spiritual practices can be profoundly powerful. If we can embody our prayers in the way that David taught, how much more can we bring forth that we envision in our lives? I always like to point out that while we, many of us here in this room may be activists out there doing all kinds of things on the, the front lines of changing the world, we're also really good in unity with things like prayer, visioning, holding space, singing into being. And so let's also really cultivate the ways that we can contribute in real and meaningful and powerful ways to the kind of earth we want to live on, to the kind of people we want to live amongst, and the kind of people we want to be, that really revere life, uncover the sacrilege, and restore it to the sacred. That's who we are. That's what we're about. So knowing the earth connects us to the divine Let's put away the devices once in a while and go out and just be and let the earth pull us close. And let's allow ourselves to walk that bridge between the mystical and the physical more easily, more readily, more often. And let's tend to Mother Earth in whatever ways we feel and all the life expressions of Earth with compassion and care as well. As we close out today with our affirmation, I want to put it in the in the spirit of David's prayer that is praying for rain. Let's pray earth. Not praying for rain, but praying rain. Let's pray earth. Let's pray earth. And hold that vision of all life thriving in conscious oneness and our care that makes it so. So I invite you to speak this affirmation with me, let's, uh, let's just really let it into our hearts and see how we are one with the earth as we speak it. Together, I am dreaming, waking, connecting, and caring, earth. So you are. Thank you.